Well, happy Good Friday. Uh, it is I, Pastor Luke, here. Glad to spend spending some time with you. Um, as we are all learning to continue to deal with quarantine and the fact that we can't gather to worship in person, um, I do want to hope and encourage that if you have a local church that is streaming services, is trying to create worship experiences for you, please make sure that you are doing your best to stay connected to those churches. Uh, do your best to stay connected to your pastors and to your small groups. Um, this is a new time for, for pastors where a lot of folks are not used to uh, and have never led in a moment like this. So uh, give a lot of grace, but also remember that you are part of the church. And so uh, your role as a member of the church, your role as a servant of the God does not change just because we're quarantined or just because the building's not open. We are the church and we still have the exact same jobs and same roles and same commitment to the Lord that we had previously. And so I encourage you to take some ownership of that. Stay connected to your local congregation. Stay connected to your brothers and sisters in faith. We all need each other right now. We need that prayer. We need that love. Uh, we need that encouragement. Also, make sure you're thinking about your churches out there because a lot of them, too, financially, uh, you know, they've got to figure out how to take care of tithes and offerings. And so I just encourage folks, if you have a local church, make sure that you're staying as connected as possible to them and that you are doing your best to stay in fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're here on Good Friday to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for each and every one of us. And, well, I hate that quarantine has occurred during this week because this is typically one of my favorite weeks of the entire year. And normally there are so many different activities uh, that my family and uh, church families have participated in to celebrate this week. I also think it's a really good time in the midst of all this darkness and fear and worry for us to center on the word and for us to be reminded that our God is always on the throne. Our God is always here to walk us through any of the darkest times. And as you go through scripture, what you find is our God is unbelievably amazing at taking the darkest moments and turning them into the brightest moments. And that's what we see so often on Good Friday is, is that a day that in that moment, all of the enemies of Christ thought they were winning and all those who loved Christ thought they were losing. We now look back how many thousands of years later and go, what a glorious day that was. That was the day that death was defeated. That was the day that our sin was nailed to a cross. That was the day that we were given an opportunity for new life. What I want to do with you today is we're just going to read through um, the story of Jesus on the cross. We'll have a, a couple moments of reflection and then we'll close in prayer. Um, I'm going to be reading from a book called One Perfect Life. Um, it is edited by John MacArthur. And what it does is it takes... Uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it puts them in chronological order. If you've ever run through the Gospels, you'll notice that uh, you, you get a slightly different perspective in each of the Gospels. Same story, same truth, but just slightly different perspectives. And so what this does is it puts all four of those books together for us and lets us read through and really hear about Jesus' experience that day and what he went through. And so we're going to start with Jesus' first three hours on the cross, if you're referencing in your Bible, these will be found in different places. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 19. Um, but let me just go ahead and read what Jesus experienced on that day. It says, Then they crucified him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now it was the third hour, and the people stood looking on. 
Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece, and they said, Therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. And they divided his garments, and they cast lots, for them to determine what every man should take. This was done that scripture might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things, and sitting down they kept watch over him there. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and they put up over his head the inscription of the accusation that was written against him. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, I have written, I have written. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left, and Jesus in the center. And so the scripture was fulfilled, which says, as he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes and elders sneered, saying, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross that we may see and believe in him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Then one of the criminals, who was hanged blasphemed against him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, And the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Let me pause there just to reflect on a a few things that always stand out to me as we look at Jesus on the cross. The first thing that always gets me is just those beginning words where he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You know, people sometimes wonder as a Christian why you would choose to be a disciple, why you would choose to be a servant, why you would want to give control of your life away and let somebody else be your master and your Lord, why you would want to become, by choice, a slave and say, from this point forward, I give everything I am and everything I have to you, Christ, to follow you. 
And it's when people ask a question like that that I point to things like that comment. Here is a man who came to earth and in coming to earth shed so much of the of the power and awesomeness that he had as God. And he came into the fragile, broken body of a man to be with you and I. That in and of itself is an unbelievable sacrifice that almost no man would make. And yet after coming here, not only does he make that sacrifice to be close to us, but then he spends his life loving us and teaching us and praying for us and guiding us and trying to lead us to the kingdom, to lead us to his Father. And despite all that wonder, despite all that love, despite the healings and the teachings and all the wonderful work he does, still the people turn against him. And not only do they turn against him, but they decide to ridicule him. They trump, they bring him up on trumped-up charges. They have a, this mockery of a trial. They beat him. They crucify him. And as he's dying, they mock him. And what always blows me away about the love that Jesus has for us is that Jesus sitting there is looking at people who hate him who despise him with everything they have. And yet, what do you still see from him? You see the love of a father looking at his children. Psalm 139 talks about the fact that you and I were wove together in our mother's womb. That we were knit together by the Lord. And so Jesus has this unbelievable ability to look at these individuals, and even as they curse him and mock him and beat him, even as they cheer on his death, he still has this love for them. And he cries out to the Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And it's moments like that that make me go, that's why that's my Lord. That's why he's the master and I'm the slave. Because that's not how I'd act. That's not how I would be. The pride and the ego and the hatefulness and the sin that is in us and in myself. Man, if I was the Lord, things that would have happened we know Jesus right then and there could have come down off that cross he could have called down the wrath of heaven upon these people he needed no one to defend himself but he willingly submitted to this death why because he loves you and me because he knew at that moment it was either going to be us on that cross carrying the weight of our sins and being damned to hell or it was going to be him on that cross, bearing that weight. And he was willing to do that for us. What kind of love is that? What kind of unbelievable, sacrificial love is that? And even in the midst of all of it, to cry out for our forgiveness. The second thing that always hits me is as we look at this first exchange, it's how this, this dynamic develops between the criminals on the cross and Jesus. They were on the cross for a number of hours. And what seems to have happened is, is at the beginning of this time on the cross, both of the criminals next to him, both of the thieves, are mocking him, just as they see the crowd and everybody else doing. But as that one criminal watches Jesus throughout that day, praying for others, 
caring for his mother, asking for forgiveness. As he sees these things, his heart is spoken to and he realizes this is God. And that criminal from the cross looks at Jesus and he begs him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This has always been an amazing story because you look at that man and realize at that moment, he has absolutely nothing to offer Jesus. This man will never tithe. He'll never serve in a ministry. He'll never preach the gospel. He'll never uh, go to the ends of the earth. He'll never talk to his neighbor about the love of Jesus Christ. He literally can give the man nothing. Nothing. And yet still what happens? In this moment, because he is hit with the weight of his sin, and because he recognizes in his eyes and in his heart that the person next to him is the Son of God, because of those two things, the acknowledgement and repentance of sin and the acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord, our loving Savior forgives him. Our loving Savior grants this man salvation. And you look at that exchange and you go, if you ever wanted proof that salvation cannot be earned, it can only be given, it is right here. It is right here in this unbelievable action of Christ. It's so strange to many people because this is so backwards from the world you and I live in. We've been raised and brought up in a world where if you have something of value, you make people sacrifice to get that thing from you. If you have something valuable, they give you money, they give you time, they give you effort first, and then you give your good or service over to them. Here is Jesus freely giving eternal life to a man who can pay him nothing, who can offer him nothing, but he gives it gladly. I think the second thing I love about that story is, if we're all honest, that's exactly who we are. We are that criminal on the cross. There is nothing you and I have. No amount of money, no amount of time serving in ministries, no amount of gospel testimony. There is nothing that you and I have that is anywhere remotely close to the value of the life of Jesus Christ. All of us are nailed to a cross with our sin, facing death, No option for salvation, no chance to survive, is where each and every one of us is before we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord. And so we see in this man the reality that no matter what we've done, no matter how we've lived, no matter the many mistakes that each of us carry, if we too will acknowledge what this man acknowledged, that Jesus is perfect and has done no wrong, that we are sinners and that we need his love, and his forgiveness, then you too, you and I both, get to have the same gift, the same promise that Jesus gave, which is, yes, you will be with me in paradise. What a wonderful gift for us to know. Let's continue on in the story as we now enter the final three hours of Jesus on the cross. It says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, the sun was darkened. There was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakbathani, 
which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, Look, this man is calling for Elijah. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed of hyssop, and put it to his mouth, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. Take him down. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, and bowing his head, he breathed his last and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And so when the centurion who stood opposite him and those who were with him who were guarding Jesus saw that, he cried out like this and breathed his last, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, and they glorified God, saying, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd came together to this site, seeing what had been done, and they beat their breasts, and they returned. And so, brothers and sisters, as we look at these moments on the cross, these final moments, the things that stick out to me are, are, are twofold. One, how focused Jesus is on his mission. Jesus is on the cross. He's in his final moments, and I can't even imagine the kind of physical agony he had to be in. This man hasn't eaten in hours. He's been beaten to an inch of his life. Many people say the way that he was treated and flogged before he was even put on the cross, he probably would have died of those injuries in and of themselves, let alone than being on the cross which was a terrible, terrible way to die. It was long and painful and it slowly suffocated you. And so here you have Jesus in unbelievable physical pain. Not only do you have him in unbelievable physical pain, but imagine the sadness and the sorrow. Imagine as he's there in his final moments, knowing that his life was leading to this point, for him to look out and see that his disciples had ran. For him to look out and see that the children that he had come to save, the people that he loved, were cheering his death, mocking him as he breathed his last. Can you even imagine the emotional weight of that? I think it's important for us when we think about these stories to remember that, yes, Jesus is God, but that doesn't make him immune to the pain. If we look back just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about when Jesus was uh, raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And it says in that story that Jesus wept. Even in that moment, Jesus knew that Lazarus wasn't permanently dead, and Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But despite not that knowledge, that knowledge that everything was going to be okay, that knowledge that he could set things right, didn't take away the pain he felt about watching the people he loved suffer. 
And so I'm always amazed that when I see Jesus on the cross with his unbelievable physical pain and his unbelievable emotional pain, that he's still focused on his mission of fulfilling the prophecies that had been said by the, about the Messiah. And that even in his last moments of being alive, he is working to cross the finish line. He knows what Isaiah had said about his time. He knows what had been prophesied about his death. And here he is on the cross in his last moments, fulfilling those things. This was a man with unbelievable passion for his mission to save you and I. It always shocks me throughout this entire final passage where it would have been so easy for Jesus to be focused on himself. He never was. He prays for his disciples. He prays for his enemies. He makes sure that his mother is taken care of. He saves a criminal on the cross. He fulfills the work his father has asked him to do. All those things are what he focuses on. How amazing. And the second thing that jumps out to me, which is the thing I think all of you and I need to take to heart, is what he says when he finally cries out in the ninth hour. He said, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakbathani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting to note as you read through Jesus' last week, you see him get beat, you see him go through this, this trial, you see him crucified, you never hear him cry out in pain. Never. Now maybe it's not recorded, but I think it's interesting that the only time the good book shows us his anguish, it doesn't come from anything physical. He cries out in anguish when for the first time in his life, sin is put upon his shoulders. Right? Jesus lived a perfect life, which means that his whole life, there was no sin on him. And if you and I understand sin, the real tragedy of sin is that what sin does is it separates us from God. And it's just a little piece of death every time sin is in our life. And that, that sin just keeps pulling us away from our Father. And for Jesus, the real pain was not what happened to his body. The real pain was that first moment that when Jesus bared the weight of all our sins, for the first and only time in his life, he felt a distance from his father. That's what made him cry out. He could sustain all things. He could go through all things as long as he had that connection to his father. And only when that connection was broken, only then does he cry out. And brothers and sisters, that's my encouragement to you today. That's how you and I need to be. Life is not about whether we're healthy. Life is not about whether we're rich or poor. It's not about the possessions we have. It's not about the location we're in. It's not about any of those things. It is about the relationship that we have with our Father. And what Jesus shows us is that when we are in unison, in love, and connected to our Holy Father, then we can sustain through all things. And that has to be our focus. So often when we come through these dark moments, we pray for things. And I'm not just talking material things. We pray for spiritual things too. But we pray for 
peace. We pray for comfort. We pray for love. We pray for kindness. We pray for grace. Do you know what the real desire of our heart should be? To have the most intimate relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we can possibly have. Because if that relationship is right, all other things will come. All other things. How blessed we are, even in the midst of this crazy world we sit in, even as we sit surrounded by death, to know that you and I have a Lord that loves us like Jesus loved us. That we have a Lord who is willing to joyfully sacrifice everything for you and I. And that he lays at our feet the gift of life if we are willing to take it. If we are willing, just like that criminal, to repent of our sin, acknowledge Jesus as Lord, then a whole new life is offered to us. And what I'm always hopeful about is if the Lord can take this day, the day that his one and only son died on a cross, the day that man did its worst action ever, crucifying the son, if the Lord can take that day of darkness, and now turn it into a day of light a day that we call Good Friday because we realize without this day we still carry the weight of our own sin if God can do that take that darkness and turn it into this light then brothers and sisters he can do that to any other darkness we face and so we have that hope and we have that faith and we have that trust in him Let me go ahead and pray for us. Dearly Father, we're just so thankful that you loved us enough that after we ruined this beautiful world that you'd given us and after we ruined our loving relationship with you, Lord, by choosing sin, that you, Father, didn't give up on us. That you, Father, from the moment we messed it all up, began working out a way to save us. And that, Father, even though that cost you, your Son, You were willing to send your one and only begotten Son to this earth, Lord. To love us and to sacrifice for us, Lord. To save us from our sins. Father, no matter what we face, no matter what darkness we go through, may we always hold on to the knowledge of that love that you have for us. May we look upon that cross, Lord, and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and realize that we have been given new life through him. Father, may we realize that on that cross, our sin was crucified with him. That, Father, no longer do we run with the guilt and shame of our sin. No longer do we run with death facing us. But, Father, we run free full of power and love and grace knowing that you are right there with us Father we ask that you be with the church as it goes through this time we are separated Lord but may we always know that the church was never the building it's us the people may we continue our mission Lord of sharing the gospel throughout the world Father, we love you, we thank you, and in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
I hope you have a good rest of this Friday. I hope you spend a lot of time over the next few days reflecting on the wonder of our Lord and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we will uh, see you again Sunday. Uh, Sunday morning, we're going to plan on live streaming at 9 a.m. Uh, with a, a uh, Easter message. God bless you. Happy Easter. And we will see you soon.